God, may your grace fall richly upon us, beginning with me as a sinner redeemed only by your incredible grace through your Son. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you as we look to you at this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a TV commercial on this past week, and the TV commercial started with a man chasing after a woman with a pocketbook down Manhattan or New York City Street, and he grabs the purse. And then in that moment, the camera freezes and the angles changed. It looks like he was trying to steal her money and run. But the camera angle shifts and she was distracted and she was walking right into an oncoming path of a bus. And so he grabbed her and pulled her away. And the point of that commercial was perspective, point of view. I like to use the word context. Context changes everything. It changes how we look at life, how we think, how we see, how we live. And context changes everything about what, why we exist. And if we look at life at just a sliver, for example, I want to be rich, I just want to be happy, the danger of it is we miss the full context of why we're here. And we miss out on the joys that God has for us. So the question to you this morning begins, do you, are you sure that you are living with the right context, with the right framework of mind? Are you keeping up with the Joneses or do you have a bigger context for your life? And the season of Advent is invaluable because it brings us back to the right context for even our existence. Jesus came as a baby 2,000 years ago. He lived his life approximately 30-some years. He died on the cross and then three days later he rose again. And Jesus ascended into heaven and he said he will return. In fact, angels in Acts chapter 1-11 say this. Men of Galilee, as the disciples are watching him go up, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And today's text, Luke 21-27, Jesus' own words, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Jesus returning is a key core belief of Christianity. It's up there with Trinity. It's up there with Jesus is fully God, fully man. Jesus returning is a key part of our Christian faith. And so we have to wrestle with this. And we have to ask ourselves, is this important to me? And can I just live the way I am in light of Jesus returning? Context. So let's go to Luke 21. And Luke 21, I just want to say in a summary, Jesus is giving two predictions. He gives, by the way, every prediction he made has come true. And in this particular text, he gives two predictions. Uh, Some of you teenagers, you know, I remember when I was growing up, you could look at a fortune cookie and you want any future. Don't do horoscope, that is not of the Lord. But I remember as a kid, anything about future I would look at. The reliable future is... In Jesus, what he says. He's never failed. And in this text, he gives two predictions. The first prediction was actually for his disciples who were alive with him at the time in 33 AD. The second prediction is for us, all people. It's for the end times when he's going to return. 
This is our future. It hasn't occurred yet. So we are living in the moment where Jesus' prediction can apply to us and might and will. So in the first prediction, this is fascinating because if you look at history, this is why I believe in the Bible. It lines up with history. In the first prediction, Jesus predicts that the temple in Jerusalem at his time will be completely destroyed. That's a big deal. Because, just let me say, where do you go to worship? Church. But is the church the only place you worship? No, some of you worship in your closet, in your rooms, in your living room. Some of you worship in your car with your eyes closed driving. (laughs) I hope not long. For the Jews, the temple was the holy place of God, the sacrifices, the, the presence of God. And this is the second temple. The temple that Solomon built a long time ago was destroyed by the exiled Babylonians, Assyrians. And then the second temple that was rebuilt is this one. And they are making it even glorious and beautiful. And so it starts in verse 5. The passage begins in verse 5. And as Jesus is walking, those are admiring, saying, Wow, that is a good-looking temple. It is so beautiful. And then Jesus says, Every stone in this building will be overturned into a rubble. Wow. Jesus, you're such a downer. (laughs) So beautiful. It's going to be destroyed. All right. The temple where they worship is going to be destroyed. And the reason why it's a big deal is how many of you were alive for 9-11 attacks? And I see some youth group kids. I, I feel so old. Some of our youth were in here around that time. Remember when the buildings, the Twin Towers fell? I mean, the feeling of fear, dread, and that's iconic. That's us. Well, multiply that and tie your identity to it. Tie your spirituality to it. And that was the temple of Jerusalem. It was their identity, their source of pride. It was who they are. It was where they worship God. It was their everything. So, If we felt that harsh about 9-11, what Jesus is saying here is a big deal. And then the disciples ask, when will this happen? What are the signs? Jesus gives some signs, but regarding the temple's destruction and future, well, now we know when the temple fell, but regarding all future, Jesus doesn't even know the end date. Mark 13, 32. When Israel saw the destruction of their city eventually in 70 AD, they probably were thinking, This is the end. Jesus is going to come back. What they didn't know that we know today was that Jesus was giving two predictions. One for them, the temple is going to fall, and then one for you and me. Maybe in our lifetime, that Jesus is going to come back in the same way he went up. So, Jerusalem's fall. Just a little history. You could find this in non-Christian books. You could find this in Roman history books. Jesus was incredibly accurate. No surprise. Within 40 years after Jesus' death, the temple was completely burned down in 70 AD. He predicted it. He was right. And it began like 66 AD. And this is a small backstory. There was a Roman uh, tax collector named Florus who loved money and he hated Jews. And he wanted to make more money, so he stole the silver from the temple. So how do you feel? Somebody came in and IRS took our tree, guitar, organ. How would you feel? Some of you are like, yay. No. 
No, you would feel violated. They took our pews. They took our pulpit. And so the Jews were so angry, they protested. And the Rome responded appropriately by sending troops and massacring 3,600 Jewish citizens. So the Jews got really angry, rightfully. And they said, we've had enough. And so they led a revolt, and they actually succeeded. They drove out the Rome from the Jerusalem temple, the, the city, and the rebellion kept growing, and they started stretching to the nearby cities, and Rome said, okay, enough's enough. Let's stop playing. And they sent 20,000 Roman soldiers, and they surrounded Jerusalem, and they sieged it. You know what a siege is? They just suffocate you, let you die. No water, no food. And so this went on for quite some time, and the siege got so severe that people began eating each other and dying of diseases. And so finally, the walls were penetrated by catapult. Roman technology advanced, battering rams, and Romans went in, and they took down the city, and they wanted to preserve the temple but it is said that Roman soldiers were so frustrated by the Jews, by their resiliency for these four years, they burned the temple down. Jesus said, Luke 21, 20, today's text, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. He was right. Jesus predicted what would happen within 30 years, 40 years. So what we know in 2018 was that Jesus not only was extremely accurate, he continues to be reliable, which takes us to the second prediction. What was the second prediction? I'm coming back. He was the original Terminator. I'll be back. I'm not going away forever. I am going to be back with you. Verse 25, and there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. In other words, commentaries say this, the earth and the world looks like it's going to be broken. That's when I'm coming back. I'm coming back when everything looks like it's going to be a panic and I will return. And so my question to us is, why would Jesus share all this? Why is it important for Jesus to let us know there is going to be an end time. I am going to come back. It's going to be scary how dreadful it is for pregnant women. The sun and moon and stars, everything will be in disarray. And I think three things why he's telling us. One, he wants you to be prepared. Luke 21, 36, a few verses down, Jesus says at the conclusion of this lesson, but stay awake. Can you say stay awake? Turn to someone next to you and say, stay awake. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now listen to this. Three things Jesus says here. First, prepare by being alert. Don't doze off into your own life. Don't doze off into like, oh, I, I got to get that Corvette. I, I want to get that nice job. Be alert. Two, Prepare by praying for strength because it's going to be hard. And three, prepare to stand before the Son of Man. Like, I don't think we hear this often. But Advent is a time to check our hearts and to recognize whether I or my children 
are going to be prepared to stand before Jesus Christ on that last day. By the way, I'm a good guy doesn't cut it. I, 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 have, I, have, I have you in my heart. I mean well. doesn't cut it. Are you prepared to stand before Jesus, the judge on judgment day? And so Jesus returning, it's inconceivable to say, since Jesus is coming, I want to do life my way. Like the Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. Like, Jesus is coming. How will you live, Jason? My way. It doesn't make sense, right? It's like children playing. They're giving chores. Mom and dad are coming back at 8. What time is it? 7.50. We got time. 8.01. Ding dong. Mom and dad are home. No one prepares to see and meet Jesus while living their own way. And that was Jesus' point. Are you prepared? Listen to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And listen to this. And in righteousness, he, Jesus, judges and makes wars. Why is Advent important? Be prepared to stand before the Son of Man. Don't just go to church. Don't just be a nice citizen. That's great. And do that. But are you really ready to meet God face to face, the judge? And so he's asking us to prepare, but he's also giving us hope. This is not meant to scare. This text is meant to encourage hope in us. Jesus' own words regarding the end time is, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, let's just act this out. Straighten up. Raise your heads. And your redemption is near. Now, who straightens up and raises their heads? Hey, I have a free ticket to Hawaii. Hey, I need garbage to be picked up. Do you notice, right, we do that? When there's something we look forward to, we straighten up, raise our heads, and be like, me. Jesus is saying when these bad things are happening, for you it's good news. This is the hope that you've been waiting for. This is what makes all the pain worth it. This is redemption. Children, youth group, how many of you went to Chuck E. Cheese growing up? What's the best part of Chuck E. Cheese? No, the tickets. And then you cash it in. Oh, is that what you said? And you say, I got 4,000 tickets. And your mom goes, why? And you buy, I don't know, like a 99-cent rubber mallet. (laughs) You've taken tickets and you've redeemed them to get the prize. Jesus is using that word. Your redemption has come. You suffered. You strived. You endured. It's time for redemption. It's time to check in our tickets. Jesus, here I am. You're my prize. Jesus is our prize. So by grace through faith, we have a ticket. And when Jesus appears, we've we've won. We've celebrated. We're getting our prize. So the context of hope changes how we look at tragedies and horror. The sun, moon, stars, there'll be battles and wars. And Jesus says, but take heart. It is time for your redemption. So we look at this with hope. If Jesus 
us, horrible tragedies don't give us despair. They do not give us despair. They'll mess us up for a little bit, but they don't fall us into hopelessness. They actually remind us of hope. This is why I have faith. And this is why I am clinging even closer. When hardship comes, it makes me joyful all the more. The day is coming, Jesus. I have hope in you. So just read what Jesus says again in Luke 21. All these signs are not to scare, but they're to give us hope. And where is our hope? It stands with Christ. So lastly, and this is getting, the last one's biting. This is why he gives us context of how you live your life. You need to see a full picture of your life. It is not to just live a good life, die, pass on, and hope my children are happy and healthy. That's good. It is not the goodest. That's a word. Jesus is giving context to you and me and the history of the world. He came, defeated sin, rose, and went to heaven. And he's going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. Which world are you living for? Are you living for this world or the world to come? If this is a context for the lives that Jesus wants us to see, how could we stay the same? Christianity is not meant to simply sign up, I'll go to church when I can, and I have a little bit of religion in my life. Impossible. So how do we live, Jason? Well, one, we're called to love. Jesus is coming. You're going to just let people walk on by? Love them. Be ambassadors of Christ. Share with them the message of the good news. Seeing this context of Jesus changes how we live. You don't live to preserve your life. You live to use up your life for Christ and leverage every opportunity and success so he gets the glory. We don't live fighting for convenience and comfort, but we surrender that to propel the gospel to the world's ends. So I want to talk about this man named John Chow. Who have heard of John Chow this past week? John Chow was a young man. He took a kayak to an island, North Senegalese Island, right around between India and Myanmar. Uninhabited, unreached island. He took a kayak. He got off. He wanted to share the gospel to people who've never seen the outside world. It is one of the least Unreached worlds in the whole world. It's an island, tribe. They still live untouched. He gets off the island, and he gets shot with arrows, and he's killed. We can't even retrieve his body. And so there's been a lot of conversation. Even Christians are saying, why would he go by himself? world is saying, what a doofus for a God that doesn't even exist. You're going to send him to, you know, go on an island, and why don't you leave him alone? Why do you have to push your gospel? So there's a lot of conversation going on, and he's a topic of this. And John was trained, and he was ready. What his intent was, he wanted to go there because he loved these people genuinely to live with them, walk with them, and then slowly open up their hearts and then point them to God. And today, even in church world, we're like, was he foolish or was he a hero? He died because he truly loved these people and he wanted them to have a savior because his context was Jesus is a savior. 
Jesus is our hope, and Jesus is coming again. You know, he's not the only crazy one. It happened throughout history. In 203, a lady that I learned from seminary, her name is Perpetua, her name. She refused to worship the Roman gods. The Romans said, worship these gods. These are our gods, you crazy Christians who believe in only one God. And she said, no, I'm not going to worship your gods. So this is what it said in one of the books. After they had been brutalized by the animals, that's right, Christians were fed to the animals for fun. Hey, go feed uh, Jason to the lion. Hey, feed that one. Feed Nathan to the bear. Yay! And they enjoy that. The surviving Christians were gathered together. They gave each other the kiss of peace one last time. Just pausing there. Notice they're not scared. They're not crying. They're not going, please save us. Why do we do this? We, we, we relinquish faith. Then each of them was stabbed with a sword. But Perpetua, stabbed between the ribs by a novice gladiator whose hand was shaking, she didn't die. She cried out loudly in pain, grabbed the gladiator's sword hand, and brought it to her own throat. And in this way, she embraced her death. That just sits in so crazy to us because we bought into this context that you live to be happy, comfortable, and peaceful. But the Christians throughout 1900 years and even today live with this context. This life is just the beginning. This is not what we live for. This is not our home. We live for a bigger context of a Savior who is our hope and returning. They were gladly able to give up their life. Can I tell you what is crazy? This is really crazy. We go to church. We worship God. We believe in God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe in baptism and sacrament. We believe Jesus is definitely our best friend. And then we live life my way. That's absolutely crazy. Crazier than John Chow, crazier than Hudson Taylor, crazier than Perpetua. And this Advent is bringing us together to say, whose life is yours? And you could say, this is my life. Or you could say, this is the Lord's life. So that's why we light this Advent candle. We bring this awareness to say, what are we fighting about really? What am I complaining about? What is your context? What are we teaching our kids? Just get a college, good job, make a lot of money, and you'll be happy. What if we give them a bigger context? Jesus Christ died, rose again. It's an event that happened. He's coming back. Live life well, so study hard. Get a good job with a big perspective of your life is a gift that God wants to shine his truth and love and goodness through. Live as people who are hope-giving and for the good news. And the last line is, context changes everything. Jesus changed our context by giving up his everything. How will you live? As we enter the season of Advent, young to the old, I'm not asking you to be religious nuts. Let's just come before God and say, Lord, how do we give our lives fully, gloriously, surrender to you?
because you fully, gloriously surrendered it all for us. Let's pray. Jesus, I think we're living out a life that you are so familiar. As it says in Philippians, you being God did not consider being God something to be grasped. But you humbled yourself and you made yourself vulnerable. You allowed a teenage girl to change her diaper and, and feed you and care for you. You humbled yourself to be entrusted to the care of your creation. Only to die for our sins and to redeem all of us 30 some years later. And God, it makes sense that as we wait for you, that our lives are not meant for preservation, but it's meant for your glorification. And so we wait, and we will wait well. We want to be people that wait with activity in furthering your name and living for your truth. We want to live well in loving our strangers and people who can't even benefit us back. Whether it's Angel Tree or the next-door neighbors or the people in our community, may we be people who prepare for your coming. God, thank you so much for giving us this urgency. And may that urgency grow. And may you give us a mission for this church that is not a program, but it is our life. We want to be your hands and feet and your mouthpiece. These things we pray as we pray the prayer you taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.